Hi, this is Chris Torres, and welcome to the American Agriculturist Young Farmer Podcast. Well, today's guest, if you have been following American Agriculturist for about the past year, uh, you should know her name. Uh, it's Shelby Watson Hampton. She writes the Generation Now column for American Agriculturist. And I recently went down to her winery that she runs with her husband and aunt and uncle on the fourth generation family farm down in Southern Maryland, where we had a conversation about her background, about the farm itself. And she also gave some pretty good advice for, for young farmers who are, um, who are either in the business, trying to get into the business. Um, she's very involved in the community, very involved in agriculture, um, very involved in a lot of organizations. So hope you enjoy this interview. Um, a little bit of a background. She also is a director of the Southern Maryland Agricultural Development Commission down in Southern Maryland. And, uh, and that pretty much encompasses all the counties that are southeast of the Washington, D.C. area. So here is my interview with Shelby Watson Hampton. Okay, well, first off, I am very excited to be here. Me too. We have known each other for how long now? Mm, two to three years. And I recruited you. I remember this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I recruited you because of some phone call that I made. I, I know, I think I know how this worked out. So I was at Lancaster Farming at the time, and I was, of course, I was a regional editor. And there was something about some sort of livestock thing going on down here where you were, you know, you were the head of Smatic at the time. And they were opening up some sort of, um, you were in the works of opening up a livestock, or, excuse me, a slaughterhouse, some sort of slaughterhouse. And I asked you, I think on that phone call, do you have any good writers down here? And I shamelessly put in a plug. <laughs> um, so yes, I was at the time and still am um, the director of the Southern Maryland Agricultural Development Commission, which is known as its acronym, um, SMADC, S-M-A-D-C. And yeah, you called because we were working on the slaughterhouse at that point and starting our regional agricultural center, both of which are in the work right now. Um, so we're excited for those to come to fruition. And when you called looking for a writer, I said, well, I do some freelance. I had freelanced for Delmarva Farmer. and Good publication, by the way. Absolutely. I love both the Delmarva Farmer and the Lancaster Farming. Um, both, I think most of the farmers in this area get both, read them cover to cover. And um, I had done some for the, I was actually editor at the time, and I still am, of the Maryland Grape Growers Association um, quarterly publication. And um, I do freelance now also for Pink Tractor and for, um, of course, for American Agriculturalist. And there's someone else I'm forgetting, but there's several publications that I, I freelance for and really enjoy. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So for the people that don't know who you are, go through a history yeah, so you want my 90-second elevator speech. Your 90-second elevator speech They teach us this, yes. <laughs> so I am Shelby Watson Hampton, uh, 34 years old, a female farmer and agricultural careerist. So we have a family farm in Southern Maryland, um, in Brandywine, Maryland. And on the farm, I'm a partner with my husband and my aunt and my uncle. So the four of us run our family business on our fourth-generation family farm here. And we have a vineyard and a winery, and we do weddings in our um, converted horse stables. So that's the family business. And then I'm at Smatic during the day. And um, I do some freelancing for the ag world, and I sit on a lot of boards and commissions, kind of a joiner. I have a problem saying no. We're working on that. 
um, prioritizing things, but the ag industry in all its forms is my biggest passion. So I'm very lucky to be personally and professionally and philanthropically involved kind of on lots of levels. Give me a little bit of a history of the farm. Right. So the farm, my family actually goes back and farming more than four generations. Um, but my grandfather was a third son. So by the time he came along and needed a piece of property, he moved uh, four miles down the road from my great grandparents. And he bought this farm uh, right after my grandmother and him got married um, in 1955. And uh, they were right out of high school. They bought the farm, uh, started their family here. Uh, there's four kids. My dad is the oldest. And um, there is my Aunt Connie, my Uncle Robert, and my Aunt Susan. Susan is the one who is my business partner. And the farm originally was in tobacco and hogs. So those were two big markets in Southern Maryland at the time. A lot of family farms down here did that. Um, many, many farms were in tobacco. And then, of course, the tobacco buyout came. And then the hog market crashed. So my grandfather, anticipating those, was moving out of those industries kind of as or before that was all happening and transitioned into large tree nursery. So we did trees and shrubs here for like commercial landscaping, um, wholesale nursery, um, hundred acres of planted shade and ornamental trees plus um, container stock. So I grew up doing that for 30 some years. And then we also had a big agritourism fall festival um, that my grandfather started in the late sixties. And it was, you know, pick a pumpkin, take a hayride, see the animals. And it was before anyone else around here was doing it. So we were one of the first. And, and just, and just if, you're, if you're not aware of where this place is, we are what, about, a, about 40 minutes away from D.C.? Yes, we were about traffic. 40 minutes south of D.C., um, about 45 minutes south of Annapolis. Um, so we're in a rural area, but we're very close to large populations. So when I was growing up, all the school kids in, like, the surrounding counties came here for our fall festival um, for the agritourism. So I grew up working with customers and understanding having people on the farm. My grandfather loved people. He loved to educate, talk about agriculture. Um, we would have all of our animals bred, so they would have babies for that season, which wasn't typically the natural for some of them, but because the school kids wanted to see you know, a, a mother and, and baby pair, we would do that, and that I really probably, enjoyed that. That was probably a hit, huh? Oh, yeah. I was always gonna go to vet school. I actually majored in animal science Did at you? University of Maryland, because wow. I'm, I'm, I'm the animal girl. Um, of course, took a different path, but my aunt and I are both very much into animals, and all the animals we have on the farm now are just for the agritourism. So they're pets, but they're for educational purposes. And how do you break that down? How do you break that down in terms of animal numbers? Oh, so it's not huge. I mean, it's really just for people who come from the city and who want to see, you know, some livestock. So we have horses and goats, sheep, ducks, chickens, geese, rabbits, dog or cat, a couple things. If I have my say, we might eventually get a mini donkey. I'm in discussions with my husband about that one. Um, but they're all pets right now. We're not in any animal production. Mm -hmm. The only production we really do here is the vineyard, is the grapes and the wine. So you wanted to be a veterinarian. Did I did. you want to go in a large animal vet? I wanted to do all of it. And so I actually, I worked as a veterinary nurse um, through high school and through college and after college. I worked at three different practices that were phenomenal. And they were a mix of rural, large animal, um, and then urban, small animal. And then one specialty practice. Mm -hmm. um, I love the animal science. Uh, I decided not to take on the $200,000 or so debt load to go to vet school. And decided I could work in the animal industry and work in agriculture without having to do that particularly. Um, so even, but after college I did work. I'm still as a, a full-time veterinary nurse. Um, and that was fun. I would have stayed with that. But it, you can't make a, a great living in that industry really. You have to have something else. And then so ended up working as a farm manager for another agritourism farm not far from here and uh, helped them build their business, worked there for four or five years. And then I uh, worked with the Maryland Department of Agriculture in the marketing department. So I helped with farmers markets um, and marketing and promotion of ag products. 
And now I'm at Somatic. And of course, here at the farm. So, so what, what was there a phone call? Was there a moment that you decided that, you know, I want to come back home and I want to help run this farm? Oh, yeah. So that had actually been kind of the plan when I decided I was in school. I was at University of Maryland in animal science and I was enjoying that and I wanted to get my degree. When I decided not to go to vet school, my thought was that I would come back to the farm and do something here. At the time, my grandfather was still alive. This was still running as a full-time nursery. Um, we probably had 30 full-time employees, um, hustle and bustle. And then he got sick my sophomore year of college and very unexpectedly passed away. Um, he was young. He was still in his 70s. And uh, we had a whole change here of family dynamic and family business. And um, my grandmother ended up retiring the business. Um, she'd been in it a long time, and she didn't necessarily want to do all of it without him. And um, so this is all happening while I'm in those last few years of college and trying to decide where to go. Um, so at that point, there wasn't a family business to come back to because we had phased out of the nursery, out of the agritourism. And so I ended up working at the other farm down the road full-time as their farm manager, which was great, mm -hmm. great experience. I actually advocate that for any person who grows up on a family farm and wants to come back into the family business to either go away to a trade school or a college or to work for someone else who's not your family in a different a business in the ag industry, what you want to do, but not for family because that's an important experience right? to stand on your own and to grow in other areas and then to be able to bring insight back to the farm. Sure. So my aunt um, actually ended up inheriting this portion of the farm where the vineyard and the winery are now. They mm. weren't then. And uh, my aunt and my grandma and I got together and came up with this idea of vineyard and winery and weddings. And um, I've been so lucky to be able to be a part of that with them. And so we're kind of interesting because we're a multi-generational female-run farm. And of course, my aunt and I drug our husbands into it. And they are the best people because we could not do it without them. Uh, my husband's a vineyard manager. And my uncle, Susan's husband, is the winemaker. And then Susan runs the farm weddings. And I run all of our marketing and promotion, um, online presence, social media. And then we all do everything, really. I mm -hmm. mean, in, in the areas, we all four have a specialty, but we all four do everything. In fact, we're bottling tomorrow um, after work. We'll get everybody together. We're going to do a winery bottling. And the family pitches in, like my mom and dad, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, very instrumental uh, my siblings, and uh, we have some paid staff in the winery now too in the vineyard. So that was exciting. We actually could get some people to come in and help. Um, so yeah, it's been a wild ride. Uh, everything here has completely changed in the last seven to eight years. It's taken that long to get where we are today, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, tell me, tell me a little bit about that planning. I mean, what, why, why the winery business? Why the vineyard business? Right. Well, I'd always liked wine, but that's not really it. Um, we, that's okay. If it was, <laughs> <laughs> we were coming out of the nursery industry and my grandfather was actually very adept. You know, he changed his business model or his whole business every 20 to 30 years, depending on the markets, which you have to do around here to survive. So my aunt and I grew up kind of seeing that and he was very entrepreneurial and he wasn't afraid to take a risk. So we're lucky. We were both kind of blessed with that adventurous spirit as well. So when Susan inherited the farm and I was graduating college and working at the other farm and I came to her and said, I have an idea. Like, we really need to do something here. And she's like, yeah, I, I want to do something. I'm just not sure what, like, let's get together. We were actually at a farm bureau conference, our annual farm bureau conference, um, in, in Maryland, in Maryland. Yeah. The, the state conference and her and I had gone up together and shared a hotel room and we set up to like three in the morning, making notes on this hotel notepad about what we thought would work. 
And the reason Vineyard came up first is because right down the road from us is Romano's Vineyard and Winery. They were the first one to get started in this area. And um, watching them do what they had done and working with Department of Agriculture, University of Maryland Extension, um, and the Soil Scientists, the Soil Conservation District, uh, they found out that in this area in Maryland, the soil that is so good for tobacco is also really good for grapes. It's sandy. It's well-drained. It's very similar to French Bordeaux, actually. Mm-hmm. So the state had put a lot of effort into promoting it as a, as a product. So we said, well, let's look at this. And we joined the Maryland Grape Growers Association. We joined the Maryland Wineries Association. And it took two and a half years of research, planning, soil testing, soil preparation before we could even plant the first vines. Wow. So it was, it was dedication. But what it really comes down to was doing something that we thought could basically save the farm that um, would be a good crop for our soil, would work for our climate, had been tested you know, by the scientists in the state, um, was something that we could sell. And we're naturally used to working with the public. You know, We enjoy the agritourism part of it. Um, so going from the grapes to the wine was kind of an easy leap there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but I always laugh and say, like if farming petunias had been the biggest thing at the time and to save the farm, we had to become petunia farmers. And by golly, that's what we would have done. <laughs> um, but I'm super glad it's vineyard and wine. So. Yeah. Yeah. What was your learning curve? What was your learning curve oh. in actually learning this business? You know, it's interesting because it's still farming and we'd been farmers. Um, so we were very lucky to start with some aspects like we have the, we had the land. Um, we had some of the some equipment. We had some tractors and some general farming equipment um, and some knowledge of working the soil. By but, the way, the, the listener will really appreciate this. But I, as I was driving up the driveway here, it looks like you're a green gal. This is a green family. Or maybe not. No, we are. So it's funny you say that. Um, we are John Deere Green historically. We had about 12 of those on the farm. And then I actually um, competed in a competition at the National Farm Bureau Convention a few years back. And I won a Case IH tractor, which is red. So overnight, we became a red and green farm. Because when it's free, it joins the herd. <laughs> so yes, we have a bunch of deers and one sweet little red, ca- red tractor. Very nice, very nice. So, I'm sorry. So, go ahead. Uh, Lord, where was I? Oh, yeah. You were talking about your learning curve. Learning curve, right. So, farming we had, um, but this was a whole new industry, a whole new crop, totally different. So, we were actually very blessed that my husband, um, we were engaged at the time. We weren't married yet. He is an agronomy guy um, background. So, he had worked with plants, loves plants. He's good at that. Um, So, that was a big help, you know, looking at varieties and what to plant. We ended up hiring a consultant for our grapevines. He was the uh, head of the Maryland Grape Growers Association at the time and had a vineyard in Northern Maryland and was selling um, his grapes to Bordy Vineyards, uh, which is one of the oldest wineries in the state of Maryland. And um, that is Bob, who is now my uncle, because him and my aunt uh, fell in love during the process, mixed a little business with pleasure. And uh, so we, she ended up marrying our wine consultant and I ended up marrying our vineyard manager and uh, here we are, <laughs> keeping it all in the family. <laughs> so having Bob was a huge help as well, obviously. He makes all of our wine and does a great job at it. So mm-hmm. with the four of our combined knowledge from the different areas that we have, it, it's worked out. Good, good. So, so tell me a little bit about the acreage and, uh, and uh, you know, in terms of how many varieties of grapes you actually grow here. Yep. So the home piece here is about five and a half acres of planted grapes. Um, it's about 3,200 vines. Um, which is not a lot when you think of it like that, but it's a lot from a handling perspective. Mm-hmm. So everything has to be done by hand. 
you're in the vineyard starting winter pruning in February and no you're not. automation, nothing. The only thing you can do automated is use the tractor with the sprayer um, to spray the vines as needed. And then we also have recently gotten a hedging attachment because the vines grow very prolific. You have to hedge them back. That goes on the tractor. But 95% of what's done with those grapes has to be done by hand. There just isn't a machine for it. Um, so starting with winter pruning in February, you're in the vineyard every week, all year long, until you finish harvesting in October, basically. There's a small break in August. There's like a three-week when the grapes are set and the bird netting is on and you don't have to be in there. So those three weeks in August is when we take turns taking vacation because it's the only time we can get away from the vineyard um, besides the dead of winter, of course, and that's when the winery is, is busy. So, yeah. um, so they're very needy. They're very, very hands-on. Um, there are six varieties. We have three reds and three whites, and they are a mix of European varietals and hybrids. So our reds are Merlot, Chamberson, and Cabernet Franc, and the whites are Chardonnay, Vidal Blanc, and Chenin Blanc. And then recently, we have worked with a farmer up in Northern Maryland, um, where Bob is from, um, on another thousand vines that are ours. We bought them, and um, she is contract growing those for us. So we have an additional um, thousand up there as well. Uh, it's coming in. So. How many cases do you produce a year? So it depends, um, obviously, on the crop year. But right now we're saying, uh, I think it's, if you want to talk about bottles, it's it's like thirteen to 14,000 bottle, bottles. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like more, more than a thousand cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, upwards of that, a couple thousand. So you, you had talked about earlier about... Um, the importance of actually going off the farm, if you come from a farm background, mm-hmm. of actually going and getting experience somewhere else. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your experience. You touched on it a little bit, but talk to you a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about the, the the things that you learned the most from getting off this farm that you're able to bring back. Yeah. So I actually, when I was working at Montpelier Farms up the road as their farm manager, we joined a group that I'm still a member of today, and I'm actually going to their conference next week. And for anyone in the agritourism or value-added industry, I cannot stress enough how important this group is to join, but it's the North American Farmers Direct Marketing Association. It's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. (laughs) They go by their acronym NAFDMA, N-A-F-D-M-A. You can Google it. Um, And they are a, actually they're international now because they have some in in the the UK and they have some in Canada too. Um, Agritourism, value-added, they do everything from uh, farms that do pick-your-own to wineries, breweries, distilleries, to farm stays, uh, B&Bs, everything you can think of, fall festivals. And that group at one of their conferences, so their conferences are typically a week long. You spend like three days on the road touring farms and you spend like three days in the conference center hearing speakers and workshops. I heard one of the Eckerts speak. The Eckert farm is out west. I think they're somewhere near Illinois. I could be wrong. I apologize if someone is listening and that's not right. Um, but I heard one of them speak on the importance of, in their family farm, they have like hundreds of acres. They've been in like eight generations, lots of family man- managers working, and that they require like any child in the family who wants to come up, if they're going to work as a manager, they have to work off the farm for a year or two before they can come Makes back. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, because you have to learn how to be managed and how to manage Right. And doing that in a family spectrum is a lot harder when you get out of that and you see the world kind of fresh. You know, I think that's really important. And you also bring new perspectives back, you know, new ideas. Mm -hmm. So. So now how about you? Do you do you um, did you need to learn how to be managed or did you learn how to manage or a little (laughs) bit of both? Um, So my family would lovingly call me bossy. (laughs) 
I would say I that see why. <laughs> I am just an organizer. I like to organize and to facilitate. Um, so yeah, it has been hard sometimes to be managed, but I also don't mind being told like what to do and what project and just like, let me go at it. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting in any small business. And then if it's a family, small business, and then it's a small family farm business, you have a lot of dynamics. So definitely the four of us partners had to learn how to work together and play to each other's strengths and weaknesses. At one point, all four of us were trying to do all of the things and that really didn't work. We have nicely settled into our various corners about who does what, but then there are things in the middle that we all have to pitch in on. Like everybody harvests, everybody prunes, everybody helps clean up the weddings, you know, on days that it's busy, things like that. Um, but we're multi-generational and, you know, multi-gender and everyone kind of has their own, their own niches. So yeah. learning all of that. Yeah. It was yeah. a bit of a curve, but we've gotten in a really good spot. But the faces of this farm are you and your, and your aunt. Yeah. You Susan and I, I would say, farm. well, I'd say all four of us are, the, my husband really enjoys being in the vineyard and not so much working with the customers. Um, Bob, on the other hand, as a winemaker does enjoy being behind the bar and, and working with the customers and he's in the tasting room every weekend too. Um, and the four of us divide and conquer with things like this. Like Susan and Bob have been interviewed for newspaper articles and magazines, you know, when, when Wade and I weren't here, cause he also works full time. Um, he's at soil conservation. He's a farm planner. Um, and, and Bob and Wade have been interviewed for other things depending on where they are. Um, so we just think all of it is great promotion for the, for the farm, but for really for agriculture in general. So we, we enjoy interacting and being on, on various radio shows and, you know, TV appearances and things like that. It's now, fun. And along with, you know, if nobody knows Shelby, I mean, please look up Robin Hill Vineyard, pick up a copy of American Agriculturist, and, uh, you know, you're going to get to know Shelby very quickly. But, um, you know, it's hard not to find out who you are because you're involved in so many things, you know, between, uh, you know, Farm Bureau events and all this sort of thing. I mean, tell me, tell me the importance of actually being involved as a young farmer young professional, young ag professional of actually being involved and the benefits of actually taking that information, ingesting that information, sharing information. Um, give me a sense of, of how that's benefited you over the years. Yeah, it's super important, not just for me, but for our family as a whole. Um, my grandfather was a big joiner. He sat on the board of many things and he was presidents of a few of them at some point. Uh, my aunt and I are the same. Um, my parents are the same. We like to be involved. Um, we're social people you know, more the merrier. I guess you have to be if you're going to run a farm winery. Um, but from a young farmer perspective, it's everything. I mean, it's, what do they say? The, the most recent statistic is less than 2% of the U.S. population is in agriculture. That's right, farming. Yeah. Yep. So we're a small group to begin with, relatively. And sticking together and promoting each other and having each other's backs. To me, the most important part of joining is not just doing what you're supposed to be doing for that group, either promoting that commodity or helping with research or whatever you're doing, but the connections and the networking across the spaces, especially across the different industries that uh, don't often work with each other. Like I'm a member of the um, U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, which is great, USFRA, I would look them up. And they've done a great job of cohesively bringing together like 120 different farm groups. And like, I might not normally have a conversation with president of the pork growers or, you know, the corn growers in my typical day to day. But now that I do, because we, we run across each other at these industry wide events that are promoting ag as a whole. And to me on the County level, the state level, the international level at, at the farm, at my day job, my main motto is a rising tide raises all boats. Like we all are in this together Working together gets us further, um, promoting a positive, you know, agricultural image, 
um, connecting with the consumer on a very real level. Um, so a lot of what I do in different groups is, is really on the advocacy, marketing, and promotion side of ag. And that really came out in, if you haven't read it, Shelby wrote a just a dynamite column. And it's going to appear, edited unfortunately, but it is going to appear in the February edition of American Agriculturist. It is edited. However, the unedited version, the long version, the very, very good version, the better version in my opinion, is on AmericanAgriculturist.com. And that really, um, it, it, you talked about farm judging, which, you know, Shelby has her own language now. She's created this word named farm judging. But, um, you know, even from somebody that does not have a farm background like myself, it really, um, it, it affected me greatly and in a positive way. Um, and, you know, it was, it was wonderful to see that. And, you know, all those things you just said came out in that particular column. And it was great to, it was great read. So anybody who I suggest reading that online, that was a great great read thank give, you t- tell me a little bit of course there's gonna be a lot of people who haven't read that but g- give give the listeners like a little bit of a plug of what you were trying to say in that and that came out of forgive me that came out of a maryland farm bureau meeting am i, am I correct when you it went did down maryland, okay yeah first of all thank you for the very kind words <laughs> what chris is not saying is that i sat down one night and banged this thing out in a stream of consciousness like sort of ramble and sent it to him via email before I could go back and sanitize it or clean it up or rearrange things. And I wasn't sure if it was good for publication or if it was just me kind of getting some stuff out of my own head. And uh, he wrote back that he loved it, which was a big boost for me. Um, so it, it came up a couple of things. I was at a Farm Bureau meeting um, here in our state, which is about a couple hundred people. It's our annual convention. And Maryland is very diverse. So we're small, right? They call it um, America in miniature because we have everything. We've got the mountains, the lowlands, the swamps, the beaches, the rivers. Um, but the farming here is not like it is out West. Uh, you're not typically, we have a few big farmers in the state that are doing a couple thousand acres of grain, you know, or what they're doing, but a lot of it's small niche, intensified, diverse agritourism type stuff. And there's this push and pull between kind of like the, the more generational, um, older, you know, more established farming families and then kind of the new folk coming in, which I'm sure is like in any industry, you know, there's some kind of friction there. And there's a balance between trying to keep, some things are important traditions, but others are stuff that needs to grow or needs to fade away and, you know, to make new room for new. And I was seeing some of these dynamics play play out at the meeting and I myself was guilty of it as well. I mean, you, you have some knee-jerk reactions and biases, you know, to new ideas or to new things and you don't really realize you have them until you look at them through a filter. So I, uh, I, I wrote this article and what, what added to it too, actually this was in my head. It'd been in my head for like three days and I hadn't written anything. I came across an article by Jackie Munns of Kansas. She's an American Farm Bureau Federation member. She had written an article that had been picked up by the Delmarva Farmer, the other newspaper we mentioned. And in it, she talks about how she didn't grow up on a farm but she moved to farm country because she wanted to be a farmer and she was excited about it. And the absolute wall that she met, like trying to integrate into the community, trying to get to know people, trying to, you know, become one here, not here, but wherever she was. And I read her article and I was like, that's it. 
that's what's been in my head. Like I just, what she's writing is what half of what I was thinking. So when I saw that, I felt like the universe was like, okay, sit down and write it. Like, so I quote her, but my article kind of goes in a different direction as well. Um, but she was one of the impetus too. And I actually sent it to her on Facebook. I said, Hey, you were some of my inspiration. Thanks for this. And yeah. Sent her the longer version. So, yeah. yeah. But what you said though, and, 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 and of course you can read it again on, on the website, but what you said though is very, very indicative of a lot of things that I felt over the years. And I think, um, is very unique to this area, very unique to this region here in the Northeast, because we do have, you know, there still are some large farms, you know, even in my place in Pennsylvania, there's still a lot of large farms. New York has a lot of large farms, but there is a lot of small farmers out there or people who want to get into farming. There's a lot of great young energy in farming. And, you know, I mean, you can go to different, you can go to PASA, you can go even to Farm Bureau meetings and you'll see that young energy. And I totally agree with you of the importance of accepting those people, at least being open to other ideas, you know, to secure this future that we have, you know, because I, like I said, I, I never, I never had an interest in farming and, you know, and I found it myself and I wouldn't want to be in any other industry. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful industry. So I guess my last question is, cause we're going to wrap this up and I wish I could go for hours and hours, but uh, we have to wrap this up. But as a young farmer, someone who's young, 34 years old, you're very dynamic and we could probably talk all day about, you know, just things that you're involved in and all those sorts of things. But, you know, as a young farmer, what are your biggest, what are your biggest struggles? What are your biggest challenges? You know, um, as you know, a young person in this business, um, trying to run a business with this family of yours. So, I mean, although I love my daytime career and plan on keeping it because it's an ag and it's also what I love doing. It's really hard for those of my generation to make a full-time living farming. Most of the farmers that I know have something at the farm and then something part-time, at least one of them. Um, part of that is, you know, the benefits, health insurance, issues like that. Um, part of it is just the solid income stream while you're waiting for other things to happen. So that's a big part of it. Uh, my husband one day would like to be full-time here at the farm. And that will be a while, if ever, uh, just because of the, of the way things are, you know. Um, cost of living here in the D.C. metro Virginia area, the DMV, is very high. Um, and most people have to have a two, you know, two income streams in the household. So I think that's a very big challenge. I think capital and, and financing is, is the biggest challenges for young farmers everywhere. I don't think we're unique in that. And I don't know how to fix it. But <laughs> my husband and I are both very blessed that we're able to blend our off-the-farm jobs and our, and our farm job. It's all in agriculture. So we're all in the same sphere. But I know a lot of uh, young farmers that, you know, they're a nurse or a teacher and then they, you know, farm nights and weekends and things like that. Right. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for the future if that's going to be the norm forever or if we're going to move into more sustainable, um, you know, farming practices that are bringing in the incomes that we can do. Mm -hmm. um, and I do know some lucky ones that are full time, obviously they're, they're out there. Um, but they're, they're more rare. Mm -hmm. I feel like. So then what kind of advice would you give to young people who, you know, they might be, you know, they might be in their twenties and they want to do this. They go to, you know, university or something like that, or maybe they intern on a farm yeah. and they want, or maybe, you know, they're, they're coming up, they're the next generation dairy farmer or whatever. Yep. And they just, you know, they, 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 they wonder about the long-term sustainability of this. What, what, what's your, what's your, what's your advice to people who are, who are, who are getting into this business and are going to become farm owners? What is your advice to them to become successful? Because, you know, you're pretty successful yourself. Oh, why? Thank you. That's kind. Um, so I say, first of all, I think ag has a very strong, very positive future. I think things are only moving in the right direction. 
Um, the buy local movement is not going away. That has become a permanent part of our culture. Um, knowing your farmer, knowing your food, um, which is fantastic. So my advice is when you're getting started, and this is something I think our generation is very good at. I'm, mm, I'm an older millennial slash Gen Xer, okay? I'm in that centennial 10-year gap. So, um, But the millennial generation is really good at side hustles, right? And in fact, there's a great podcast I recommend, um, Side Hustle School. So look that up. And I would say just don't put all your eggs in one basket. If you're getting started on a farm, have a part-time day job, have a side hustle, have a full-time day job, work the farm, you know, uh, keep your income streams uh, varied. And I say this for full-time farmers too, uh, diversifying the family farm, especially in this area, they'll have two or three income streams, you know, on that one piece of property. So if something goes south with the cattle, you know, you've got your hay crop or you've got your apple orchard or you've got your value added, whatever you have. So I think um, being diversified um, makes you creative and it makes you connect with others and it keeps your income streams kind of safe from total devastation. So, and I think a lot of us are really good at, at multitasking now in this generation and you'll mostly find people that have two or three things going on. So thank you very much. Thank you. This has been fun. <laughs> and our special thanks to Shelby Watson Hampton of Robin Hill Farm and Vineyards in Brandywine, Maryland for welcoming, welcoming us onto the farm. For more information, you can visit www.robinhillfarmandvineyards.com. You can also go on Facebook and look up Robin Hill Farm um, to see some great pictures and more information on the farm's operation. Thanks a lot for joining us here in the Young Farmer Podcast, and we'll see you next time.